Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. I would like you to turn to the book of Acts chapter 4. This weekend begins a very special Focus for City Bible Church as we do at the beginning of every year. Different ways, but it's always about prayer. Beginning on the 10th, we'll start with fasting for 21 days, and then we'll have the mega prayer meeting on the 23rd, and we'll do a lot of things in between. I'll also give you a prayer card next weekend. I'll hand out the prayer card that goes with your 21 days of fasting so you can uh, kind of track with me and read the prayer card, go through the scriptures, and have devotion together as a church. I really think it would be the will of God for us to start the Daniel fast. The Daniel fast is no meats, no sugars, no caffeines, all the stuff we live on now. And so the Daniel fast is uh, a fast I'll put in the web and on different things. You'll, you can find it on what to eat, or you can choose to do uh, any kind of fast you want. Nobody can tell you how to fast, but I would really encourage everybody to learn how to fast and pray at least one time a year. When we do it together as a church, there's a grace that comes on the whole church and it seems easier for everybody. How many have found that to be true? That it's actually easier so that you're not going out with someone, they're eating a big cheeseburger and you're there with your bean soup and you know they're saying well, why don't you order some at least you're all eating your bean soup and it makes you feel better about one another but i think it'd be the will of god for us to start the Diana fast on the 10th after the ducks game <laughs> what do you think is that the will of god matt so I, I think that's what the lord spoke to me this morning about just in case You're wondering, you can do that. No big deal. All right. Although when you pray, if you pray for sports, God doesn't answer prayers about sports. Okay? (laughs) Both teams are praying, you know. There's one God. There's not two gods. Although the one God is from Oregon. Okay, here we go. (laughs) During the 21 days, uh, we will be preaching out of the book of Acts, just two of the scriptures, actually, that would be our text. And we will be talking about the word shaken, which I'm going to give you this morning. I'm going to give you a definition, give you some stuff about it so you can track with me and kind of get in to the groove about what it means to be in a place of prayer. Prayer is what achieves supernatural results. Prayer is the link between God, heaven, and man's earth. Prayer is the conduit by which Holy Spirit stuff flows. Prayer is the conduit by which the voice of God comes. Prayer is the key to shake everything in our life and everything out of our life. Prayer is the key to the entire scripture. Nobody prayed more than the Son of God. He was the Son of God, perfect without sin. And yet he was a man of prayer that prayed before the sun came up, prayer during the day. He was a man that prayed so much that people said, can you teach us how to do what you do? Jesus was a man of prayer. Paul was a man of prayer. Moses, it says, was a man who was an intercessor, a man who stood in the gap for the people. He knew how to pray. When you go through the Bible, the book of Esther, wherever you want to go, you will find people of prayer. Why? Because prayer works. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is one of the weapons of heaven. It's a tool of God. It's, it's what God uses to move things in a supernatural realm. 
Why does the devil hate prayer so much? Because the devil knows that prayer works. And the devil knows that prayer is one of the one weapons that can bind his activity in the invisible realm. It can bind the activity of the devil in the human realm. Prayer is what Jesus said, I'll give you keys to work with. It's the prayer key in Matthew chapter 16 and in Matthew chapter 18. It deals with the prayer key. And so prayer is very important to City Bible Church, very important to me. I want to lift your prayer life, not by beating you up or discouraging you or making you feel guilty about prayer, because I guarantee you right now, you can answer some questions. We'll all get on the same page. How many of you would say, I am guilty of praying too much? How many of you would say, if I could sit down with you and just have a personal one-on-one conversation, and I would say to you, do you want to pray more? Your answer would be, yes. If I would ask you, would you like to pray with more power? Your answer would be, if I would say to you, would you like to beat up on the devil because he beat up on you and use prayer to beat up on him? Would you all say, yes, I would. I don't like the devil. Turn to neighbor and say, I don't either. Okay, we're in unity on that. But we know the enemy works on people's minds and hearts and bodies and lives. Prayer is what changes that. In the book of Acts, we have two significant scriptures. I want you to go there right now, verse 30 and 31 of chapter 4 in the book of Acts. And I want you to mark down what happens in the book of Acts. Heaven is summoned to act on earth in the affairs of men because they cried out to God in the book of Acts. Prayer summons God to encounter the works of men and do some supernatural changes because prayer was prayed. These people were facing persecution. They were facing, uh, in some of the parts of their ministry, will be people will die in the book of Acts. You have martyrs. You have all kinds of attacks on the leaders. There's a lot of things that will go on in the book of Acts. And they're experiencing resistance. Everyone say resistance. Resistance can be in the spirit realm, the mental realm, the emotional realm, the marital realm. It can be in all kinds of realms. They were experiencing the resistance. Why? Because God had broken out in the midst of them. God had done some awesome things in chapter 1 of the book of Acts, chapter 2, chapter 3. There had been an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There had been some miracles, some healing. They were preaching the gospel. They had 3,000 people get saved. I mean, things are just rocking the city. The kingdom of God is moving forward. And then resistance starts to come against the people. And they pray a magnificent prayer from verse 23 to verse 31, a magnificent prayer in the time of resistance. Verse 30, 31 is my text. By stretching out your hand to heal, to make more sense, let me move to verse 27 and then we'll catch verse 30, 31. For truly against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats. Grant to your servants that with all boldness, we would still speak the word of God. Verse 30, by stretching out your hand to heal, by stretching out your hand to heal. And that signs and wonders, amazements, surprises, unreasonable. You can't mentally put it together how it happened. It's a wonder. 
may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Verse 31, and when they had prayed. Now I'm looking at every piece of these verses. Try to find my main pieces here. Try to look at the verse with me. Ask yourself a question. What's the key? What's the principle? What's behind the power of these people? It's in this verse. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They had already been filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, they were already filled with with the Holy Spirit. Same people. In Acts chapter 2, they already experienced the wind and the fire and the tongues that set upon each one of their heads and the whole crowd and the baptism and the apostles preaching and the 3,000 people. They had already experienced an initial spirit-filled encounter. But yet, when the prayer took place in that place again, the Bible says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, which means, obviously, you can have more than one encounter with the Holy Spirit. And most of us need numerous encounters of being filled because we had drained so often. And they spoke the Word of God with boldness. Here's my definition for shaken. I hope you write it down. I hope you begin to just take in and get into my spirit as we get into the series on shaken. Shaken is to move something by force or power. Some things do not move without prayer force, without prayer power. That's a proven fact in Scripture. To shake something is to move it by force and to move it by power to remove obstacles, to shake off unwanted things and to arouse to action. That every piece of that definition I want to happen in every person that calls CBC their home, or even if you don't call it your home and you want to go through the series with me, if you happen to be attending the church now and you're just starting the church now, you're new to the church now, whoever you are, if you would go through this prayer series with me, I'm believing that God would shake your life. I'm believing that God will use you to shake other people's lives. I'm believing God that he would remove from you obstacles that are in your way for you to fulfill destiny, will of God, and fruitfulness that God has for you. I'm believing that you have a few unwanted things you'd like to get rid of and you haven't been able to get rid of, but during the time of prayer and fasting and supernatural agreement where power is created in a synergy, a, a supernatural synergy that takes place in the church, I believe that during that supernatural synergy, what the Bible calls praying in one accord, when the whole church begins to pray and call upon the name of the Lord and hundreds of people begin to fast, we all begin to shake the supernatural realm and the invisible realm, there's a synergy that happens that if you have some unwanted baggage in your life, now would be a good time to get rid of them. Can I hear an amen? How many of you would say, I have a few obstacles I'd like to see removed? How many of you would say, I have a few unwanted things I'd like to see Jesus shake out of my life? How many of you would say, I need some fresh Holy Ghost 
motivation to move me to action to do what God wants me to do and not be so wimpy or weak or lukewarm about it that I would just launch into 2011 and be a threat to the kingdom of hell and do things in the kingdom of God because I've been aroused to action. Can I hear an amen? Amen. All of us need sometimes to be shaken to action. Why? Because our whole culture is against kingdom of God culture. Our whole culture fragments the mind, causes us to eat on carnal things, causes us to think carnal thoughts, causes strongholds in our mind. It causes us to have resistance to the supernatural realm, to to disbelieve things the Bible talks about. Sometimes we just need a fresh encounter with God to shake from us those things that keep us back and arouse us to step up, step in, and go after God with all of our hearts. Are you ready for that? I said, are you ready for that? Then stand to your feet. Put your Bible down. Now, when I preach on prayer, anytime I do a series on prayer, I always preach, pray, preach, pray, preach, pray. I never just preach. I try to actually do the series while I'm in the series, which means we will be praying while I'm preaching during my preaching because I want you to preach with me. And some of you might say, I'm a visitor and I've never had anybody tell me to pray. Let me be the first. (laughs) You would not have come to church probably at all if there wasn't just a tiny, even if it's that big, of a feeling inside of you that there is a God and that you would like God to help you. That's called prayer. Prayer is one desperate person saying, Oh God, come on everyone, shout, Oh God. We started to pray. Prayer is desperation. Prayer is recognizing God can do something to you. People can't do. You can't do. It's when you run into the wall and there's no place to go. There's someone that's bigger than the wall. It's God. When they prayed, the very first words out of their life, out of their mouth was, Oh Lord, you're God. You're the most holy God. You own heaven. You own earth. That's how they start their prayer meeting. Why? Because they understood everybody that was threatening them and all the walls they were up against were nothing compared to Jesus. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know how big it looks. I don't know how awful it is. I don't know how much it's eaten you up. I don't know what destructions have come your way. I don't know what lukewarmness have captured you. I don't know how many binds and bondages the enemy has tried to put around your mind, your spirit, your soul, your emotion, your marriage, your children, your future, your past. I don't know. But what I do know is that Jesus is bigger than anything you're facing. Anything, anything you're facing, Jesus is bigger. He's bigger. Okay, are you ready? Okay, spread your hands out. Just This is a good posture to learn. It's not just uh, a spirit-filled Pentecostal funny little thing people do that happen to be this kind of a church. It's a Bible thing. Lifting up holy hands without wrath and malice is a New Testament scripture. It's not just Old Testament. Lifting up hands is surrender. Lifting up hands is saying, oh God, oh God, oh God, I need you. I want you. 
Something's got to happen in me. Something's got to happen in my spirit, my soul, my emotions, my body, my home, my children. Something's got to happen. Oh, God. Now, I want all of you, as you're standing there with your hands up, I'm going to count to three. When I count to three, I want you to begin to pray the definition or anything that comes to your mind and spirit about being shaken forward, shaking things off your life, naming some things you want shaken, claiming some things. I want you just begin to lift your voice and I want you to learn how to pray out loud in one accord in one spirit. Are you ready? Fill your spirit and your mind with something you want to pray, you want to declare for your future, you want to start today in the heart of what's going on right now in the kingdom of God. You want it to come forth in your life and we're going to pray out loud and we're going to begin to agree with one another. One, two, three, begin to pray. Father God, here we are today. We're declaring. Lord, we are lifting up our voice. Uh, Come on, the Bible says lift your voice. Just lift your voice and begin to declare, I have a future. I have a reason to live. I have a destiny. I have a God that's for me. I know that the devil cannot beat me. I know there's something that's going to happen that's good in my life. Oh, God, shake from me all the unwanted stuff. Lord, shake from me all the bondages and baggages and things that have come into my life that I don't want anymore. Emotional, mental, spiritual spiritual, physical, financial, marital, relational. I don't want any of the stuff that's the baggage. I want to have wholeness. I want to have health. I want to have a breakthrough. I want something to go on. Oh, God, shake my life. Shake my life. Shake my life. Lord, here I am. Shake it up. Shake it up. Lord, arouse me. Do something in me that would cause me to step into the place that you want to shake. Now grab your neighbor by the hand, right across the aisles, close up the aisles, unify. I want everybody, come on, Mill Plain, Pearl, Rocky Butte, close up the aisles. Everybody go toward the center, and you can then get everybody's hand. In the cafes, stand to your feet and grab some hands of people around your table. Now let's agree together. The prayer of agreement is powerful. Father, we agree right now that a spirit of shaking will fall upon our church. Oh, God, shake off. Shake off the past. Shake off the dust. Shake off those things in our church that have somehow found a home here, but they don't belong here. Shake it off. Oh, God, I pray and believe that you will bring a new level of Holy Spirit activity into every person the person you're holding his hands with on the right and the left, pray for them right now and just say, Jesus, fill them with the Spirit. Jesus, fill them with fresh anointing. Jesus, fill them with fresh presence. Jesus, fill them with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit of the living God fall upon them today. Lord, fill them right now. Fill them right now. Lord, stretch out your hand to heal. Stretch out your hand. Jesus, right now. Now let's just wait upon the Lord. Let the hand of your neighbor go. Just close your eyes and just wait upon the Lord. Just say, Lord, speak to my heart. Speak to my spirit during this time. The voice of God will become crystal clear. There will come an edge to the voice of God in your life. An edge, 
clarity, a trumpet, a voice. This is the way, walk you in it. This is the door, open it. This is the door, shut it. This is the bondage, cut it. This is the person, write the letter. This is the decision for your business. This is the decision for your life and your destiny. Lord, let your voice come clear during these days. Jesus, cover the church in every way. Be seated. In Acts chapter 4, 30, 31, there are five pieces we'll look at. When the people had prayed, piece number one. The place was shaken, piece number two. They were all filled with the Spirit, piece number three. I I think these are the five pieces for synergy of a shaken church under the supernatural Holy Spirit movement. They spoke the word of God with boldness and God stretched out his hand to heal. What we're believing for is for this verse to become our dinner table, our place to eat in the kingdom of God. That we would actually believe that whatever happened in the church of Jerusalem at that point that caused such a mighty shaking of the kingdom of God that shook the very foundations of hell, that actually moved the church into a realm of supernatural activity that we all still look back to and say, what an awesome atmosphere they walked in. We're believing that that atmosphere can be repeated again. That's what we're believing. That's what I do believe. We're believing that the culture of the kingdom of God had never changed, but the culture of the kingdom of man had dulled the culture of the kingdom of God. And so that kingdom had never changed. Same power, same sign, same wonder, same Jesus. Hebrews 13 says he is the same yesterday. Today, everyone shout today. Today. He's the same yesterday. He's the same yesterday. Today. Today. He's a today God. He's not just a yesterday God. He's a today God. So we believe that he will stretch out his hand to do supernatural things. What's the key? The key is this. When the people had prayed, that's the key. Prayer is mentioned 31 times in the book of Acts. Should give you some idea. Prayer precedes. This is a very interesting point of research. Prayer precedes every significant event in the book of Acts. Every event you'll read about started with prayer. Every time something supernatural or some event that would be in the significant realm started with prayer. Prayer was the link between power and person of the Holy Spirit. You will find prayer is the conduit. It's the link between that person called the Holy Spirit. It's prayer. Not just Bible reading, although Bible reading, Bible, I'm a Bible addict. You know that. But prayer is what makes this come alive. It's not just knowing about God. It's encountering God that makes Christianity Christianity. It's not just a mental assent to a truth. It's a heart connection to the fact of that truth. And prayer is the link. Prayer is the vital link between power and Holy Spirit. Why does the devil hate prayer so much? Because Jesus said in Matthew 16, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you bind in heaven shall be bound on earth. And 
the gates of hell shall not prevail. And, and, and Jesus starts giving them the key. The key in that verse is intercessory prayer. The keys that Jesus gave them began with prayer. The binding and loosing are two prayer verbs that are used throughout the New Testament. Any of you study the Old Testament in the Greek called the Septuagint, you would find the same two Greek words used in the Old Testament, actually translated word intercessor. And so when Jesus talks about the keys and supplications and how do you bind and how do you loose, he's actually using the language of prayer, not the language of worship. Not the language of teaching. It's not the language of memorization. It's not the language of whatever you want to put into my sentence. Jesus put prayer as the key. That's why this word, when, W-H-E-N, is a decision that you cross over to pray. When the people prayed, no waiting for a feeling, no making weak excuses, no allowing for the devil to stop you, no procrastinating. When? No procrastinating, no allowing a stop, no excuses, no when. When means you step over and you do it. If I would ask you how many of you people have ever read a prayer, most of you would raise your hand and say, I know what, I know what prayer is. I mean, prayer is calling on the name of the Lord. Prayer is reciting. Prayer is Matthew 6, our Father art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I know, I think I know what prayer and, you know, Francis Sissy prayers and, you know, there's all kinds of prayers in the Bible about praying and I think I understand. It's not about you knowing about prayer. It's about when you pray. It's when you step over the line from knowledge to experience. You know that devotions are powerful, but it's when you have a discipline of devotions that devotions are powerful. You know that binding and loosing work, but it's when you bind and loose that it works. In Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus talked about prayer in verses five through seven, he uses the word when, W-H-E-N, four times. He says, now, when you pray, you should do it this way. And then he says it four times. And, and when, when, when you pray, not if, not maybe, but when you pray. He says, you need to go into a room and you need to shut the door. Now, here's a thought. Jesus hardly ever, I'm trying to think when, but I don't think Jesus prayed many times in a room, except for maybe the upper room during the dinner time. And then when he was with, you know, a few times when he did the healing things, most all of the recordings of Jesus' prayers were in the wilderness, in a garden, in a place that didn't have a room and didn't have a door. But Jesus says, when you pray, go into a room. What room? And when you pray, shut the door. What door? I would say it's not literal. 
I would say he is speaking about a place in your experience and your soul and your discipline that you can do in a chair somewhere, in a car somewhere. You can do it in a retreat. You can do it anywhere you want because the room is in you. It's inside of you. It's your own room. The door is the door that you have to shut in order to have that room become meaningful. Door of distraction, door of lukewarmness, door of the world's noise, door of the world's entertainment. Only you have the key to the door. Nobody can pray for you as your personal prayer. They can pray for you to help you, but nobody can pray your own prayer. Nobody can go into your room but you. No one. There's a path to that room that only you. In Africa, there's a little thing that they used to do at the one village where they would talk to people about their prayer life and they would simply say to people, "Um, hey, brother, hey, sister, a lot of grass on your path. What do they mean? Everybody that had their prayer life that would go to their particular place of prayer in that village, their path was beaten down. There was no grass on the path because they were up and down the path all the time. But when someone neglected their place of prayer, the encouragement from the other people was, hey, hey, there's some grass on your path. You're not going there very often. Come on, need to go to that place. You have a place, it's sacred. You have a key, it's invisible, it's in your soul. You have a door that you can open and shut, but only you can do it. And it's when you decide to do it. When I was first turned around and and actually found Jesus for the first time, some of you would know my testimony, but one of the first things I did which I had never done in my life. I went on a 21-day total water fast, not a Daniel fast, a total fast. I'd never fasted. I don't think until that time, probably not even a meal in my life, let alone a day, let alone three weeks. But I read it in the book of Daniel. Now, I had a few Jesus freak friends who... Knew Dr. Nichols, who lived in Pinion Hills, who was up there in California, out in the mountains there. And he had a, a hunting shack that he would let us use. He, Dr. Nichols communicated this to one of the guys. So I said, let's, let's go up to the, to the shack and just take water bottles and fast for 21 days and read our Bible together. We, we're Jesus freaks. We don't know what we're doing. They all said, well, that's cool. Yeah, let's do it. It's cool until you're hungry. It's cool until you have a headache. It's cool until you get bored. It's cool. And I'll tell you what, after the first day, I'm thinking, why did I suggest this? Second day, I am dying. I am dying. I would. But the third day, I'm walking through the desert. Reading the Psalms. And something began to just open up inside of my spirit. 
called hunger for God. Don't know how it got there, except that I was fasting and praying, and all of a sudden, the word became living, powerful. I, I couldn't get enough. I just... And for the next days, after about the third day, as you know, with fasting, if you drink enough water, after the third day, your hunger begins to go. You're not hungry. After about the seventh day, your mind becomes totally cleared up. Your thought process is faster, your emotions, I mean everything. After about the tenth day, you enter a different realm of life that I don't, think you ever enter until you do something like this. And that's why the Bible has a lot of the leaders that fasted 40 days. I tried that and didn't make it. 21 day fast was a number of people. All of Israel would do fasting. It was during that time that something opened in me that never, ever shut again. The voice of God. Voice of God came to me. I wrote, pages of stuff during that time. And it was out of that experience that really my whole ministry was cast. My whole burden and vision began to take focus. And I knew something. I didn't know what that something was, but I knew this. I was going to serve God radically so for the rest of my life. Didn't know what that meant, but I'm after it. It came through prayer and fasting, but there was a decision when I got in the car and drove to that place. When I decided to put food away, when I decided just to read the Bible, when there has to be a when in every person's life if you develop prayer. I would not dare again to try to make you feel guilty or shame you for anything because that's the devil's way. All of us need help with our prayer lives. But how many times have you said, I'm going to start devotions this week, and you never get there? How many times? I'm going to read the Bible through after three days. How many times? All of us have a lot of past unfulfilled tryings, maybe. But it's when you actually pray that things happen. Sometimes I'll find myself worrying about something and one of the staff people will say, well, let's pray about it. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> it's like you forget that you should pray about the simplest things, the deepest things, the hardest things, the anything. You take it to prayer. You call on the name of the Lord. You let God into the picture. You ask him to come and move heaven and hell. You ask him to do something supernatural. You pray, you believe, you, you cry out to God. Come on, people. I'm talking about stepping over the line and praying. When means you get rid of the excuses. Andrew Murray said this, the sign of prayerlessness is a proof that the life of God and the soul is in sickness and weakness. Andrew Murray is a South African pastor who wrote a number of books. I have every book he ever wrote, I think. And I love, for me, I love books that were written anything 50 years and past are my kind of books. Anything about 50 years forward, 
I don't read many of them, except for the commentaries and the lexicon. There's not a lot of great prayer books written in the last 50 years. Think about it. That's, that's horrible. Most of them were written 50 to 100 to 150 years ago. That's where everybody still feeds. Why? Because they actually prayed. They actually knew how to pray. They didn't go to seminary to learn how to preach. They went to their knees to learn how to lead. Total difference. If preachers would learn how to pray, Christ could build the church and lead the church. But prayer is first before knowledge. Prayer. What the church needs is people to know how to pray. When we pray, we focus. And when we focus, here's some things I'd like you to focus on. Just write them down. They're simple. And this week we'll go at it. And then next week we'll come at it again and we'll just keep praying through. One, shake us out of spiritual dullness. Two, shake off prayerlessness. Three, shake the mountains of resistance. Four, shake people free from Satan's hold. What are we praying for? We're going to intensify focus, pray together, spiritual dullness. Anything that dulled my spirit, dulled my mind, caused me to let go of the passion for God. Anything that cuts me off from doing the wind thing, that prayerlessness, that spirit that comes on me. Anything that allows those mountains of resistance to come and bury me, I'm going to come against them. And anything that binds people, I'm going to begin to pray for. Five, shake bands of limitations off. Six, Shake off hindrances to God-filled marriages. I'll tell you three big hindrances, hindrances to God-filled marriages. Pride, wrong thinking, wrong responding. Those are three. We don't ask forgiveness because we're too proud. We don't build up our spouse because we think wrong. We don't respond right to situations because we don't have enough Christ character yet developed that teaches us how to be humble, how to be responsive. Why does the Bible put prayer in the middle of marriage? Peter does. First Peter chapter 3, he puts it right in the middle of marriage and he says, you want to know why your prayers are hindered? This is what Peter says. And we know that Peter was married. He says, your prayers are hindered when your marriage is not doing well. When you have a relational conflict with your spouse, hell wins. That's what Peter said. You find it. Read First Peter and you'll find the passages and you'll look at it and say, wow, I didn't know that was such a big deal. Just ask yourself a question. When was the last time you prayed with your spouse? And why don't you? Pride. Ignorance, carnal, don't believe it, don't like it, feel funny doing it. Don't you understand that that's one of the greatest attacks of the devil upon you and upon the church is to make sure that you don't pray with the person who's closest to you, who you have what the Bible calls a covenant with, who you have what the Bible calls a prayer partnership with. It is one of the most powerful unions you can ever have. It is a symbol of Christ and his church, your marriage. Your marriage. You 
think that all this marriage stuff going on to destroy home and all the stuff that's trying to change philosophy on marriage is just about some constitutional thing or just about some cultural tradition. I'll tell you right now, it's more spiritual than you could ever imagine. Because that's what the Bible makes our marriages. We are a walking symbol of Christ and his church. Wow. Who hates Christ and his church more than every demon of hell? The devil. So what does he do? He just makes sure people don't pray. Sing, sing your heart out. He doesn't really give a rip. Sing as much as you want. Read books. He doesn't care. Memorize stuff. It's not on his list. But you start learning how to pray and all hell will break loose against your life. Why? Because you can be his worst nightmare. You can actually bind. You can actually do things against the kingdom of hell that he can't stop through prayer. I know no great leader who was not a great prayer person. None. Not myself. I don't know any. Historically, they were men of prayer, women of prayer. Number seven, shake strongholds off your mind. Number eight, shake off unbelief for healing. Number nine, shake off financial resistance. Number 10, shake the gate to hell. Those are the 10 things I want you to pray about. Strongholds of your mind, go after it. Say, Lord, reveal to me whatever is binding my mind to think wrong thoughts, negative thoughts. Come on, negativism is not just because I want you to be positive. It's a stronghold. Faith, hope, love, these three is what Paul says. Well, that has something to do with your mind. Romans 12 says, renew your mind. What about unbelief for healing? Yes, people will die that we pray for, but we still believe there's healing and health and wholeness and a place to pray for the sick and believe that God's hand can be stretched out and heal people. Can I hear an amen? amen? We will not allow disappointment to put out our fire of passion. Financial resistance, yes, it'll come. But I'll tell you right now, God can make, Bananas grow on telephone poles if he needs to. God is not tied to the economy. He's not tied to your boss. He's not tied to the banks. He's not tied to some silver or gold somewhere everybody tells you about. He's the God of heaven and earth, and he knows how to take care of you. Spend more time with him. Believe in him. Quote the scriptures and stand your ground. 